2: You know how you can hear something and it changes you forever? That happened to me at the 2015 Compassion Fest near New Haven, Connecticut. I walked in on Mary Lawrence's half-finished speech just to hear her say, tell people you're plant-based if you want them to know you've changed your diet. Tell them you're vegan if you want them to know that you intend to change the system. So, You can imagine that I'm one happy host to have Mary Lawrence as my after-the-break guest today. I am Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, co-author of the Main Street Vegan Academy cookbook, director of said academy. You can learn more about what I do at MainStreetVegan.net. And we'll all learn lots more from today's opening guest, Ellen Debenport. If you saw some of the online promos for this episode, you know that I've been calling it a two guru shoe because both of these women truly are spiritual and practical teachers in my life. Ellen Devonport is a unity minister who has served churches in Dallas and Wimberley, Texas. And in that land of barbecue and beef enchiladas, she became vegan. She is now based at unity village, Missouri, where she is vital. Vice President of Content and Media Strategy, which means that she oversees the people who write and edit Daily Word, Unity Magazine, and other Unity publications, as well as Unity Online Radio, which means she's my boss and I have to be good. <laughs> Welcome, Ellen
0: Davenport. Hi, Victoria.
2: Hey, Wonderful. <laughs> wonderful to have you. You know, we've been doing this show For six years now, and everybody hears Unity Online Radio, Voice of an Awakening World. But we've only, I think, one time actually had a a Unity minister on to talk about what all this has to do with being vegetarian, with evolving into vegan. So let's start from the beginning. Before we even get into the veg part, just just give us a little brief, what is unity anyway?
0: Okay. So we're based just outside of Kansas City, Missouri. And in the 1800s, there was a couple living in Kansas City named Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, who both had battled lifelong physical ailments. And they were looking for answers. They weren't getting any help from doctors of that day. So they ended up studying the power of mind over body the creative power of your thought and the spiritual principles that can be used for healing so in 1889 they founded unity they did not start a church they started a magazine and unity magazine is still published today and a few years later in 1895 They were working with a printer because they had a publishing house. Their printer was named Harry Church, and he was a vegetarian because he was a Seventh-day Adventist, and they are vegetarians. And he started talking to the Fillmores about murdering animals for food, and they got it immediately and became vegetarian for the rest of their lives and wrote and spoke about it often and vociferously. They were not vegan. We know that they had their own goats and chickens on Unity Farm. Veganism wasn't a thing till what, the nineteen forties, Victoria?
2: Yes, and then it was a very small thing. Right.
0: <laughs> but that's the history. Unity. That is
2: so fascinating. Because I know that they brought a lot of yogic ideas, a lot of Eastern ideas into what we think of as the overall unity philosophy. Mm -hmm. And all my life, I thought that that's where the vegetarianism came from. And I actually learned from you when we were out there last month to interview you for the documentary, A Prayer for Compassion, that they learned from this lovely printer Mm -hmm. who was a Seventh-day Adventist. Right. Isn't that why ecumenicalism is so necessary?
0: (laughs) Yes, and he changed their lives.
2: Wow, that's so cool. So how about you? I'm fascinated that you didn't get into this because of Charles and Myrtle Fillmore. You came in through another door.
0: Yeah, I came in through an alternative doctor who told me to read the China study. And, you know, after you read that book, there's kind of no turning back. So that's what started it for me. I have not been perfect at it, but um overall that's the way that I eat. And, that's so cool. Yeah, I was in Texas and where <laughs> where they not only eat beef enchiladas and barbecue, but grilling meat is the manliest thing you can do. And so men they practically beat their chests over these grills <laughs> that they have. Uh, so anyway, it was interesting at church potlucks well, what
2: was you know this is what's so interesting because I think for everybody, you know whether somebody's in, they're they're in a church they're in a school they're in an office, they're in an extended family, and they make this change. other people respond often in uncomfortable ways H- How did your congregation react?
0: It was interesting uh, I went to Every other week, we had a little potluck at someone's home. And after a while, they decided that they would continue to have meat because he was a grill meister, but that everything else would be vegan. And it was a potluck, so people were learning how to cook vegan so they could bring things to this dinner. And we started sharing cookbooks and recipes. And it was fascinating to me. And I would have all the vegan dishes, and they would have all the vegan dishes plus meat. It's so okay. And after a while, some of them started bringing vegan dishes to church potlucks. Once a month, there was a huge feast at church. And they were so proud of themselves. And they would always make sure to find me and tell me that there was something vegan that they had brought. And they would put little signs around it. You know, this is vegan. This is for Ellen. So I thought it was sweet. Uh, There was only one time that I talked about it from the pulpit. When I was talking about the Fillmores, and I explained why I had become vegan, and I gave them the three good reasons. You know, your personal health, the animals, and the planet. And they listened very closely, and several of them talked to me about it afterwards. And as far as I know, not one of them changed their diet.
2: Well, one of my Main Street Vegan Academy graduates is now a proud member of your former church oh, really? in Dallas, Rhonda Jones. Uh-huh. So I'm sure she's in there proselytizing. So when they invite <laughs> you back as a guest emeritus or whatever it is, when one visits one's former church, uh, <laughs> you might have more people eating those vegan dishes.
0: Interesting. Okay, I'll watch for that.
2: So, you have a couple of books. One is called Hell in the Hallway, Light at the Door,
1: great Mm -hmm. title,
2: and then the one that I have read, which is The Five Principles. So, for people who are interested in a spiritual path, a little bit of spiritual awakening, and something very interesting about unity is you can learn from unity stuff without being unity. You know, you don't have to join anything. So tell us about the five principles.
0: Right, and that was the Fillmore's intention. They thought that they would publish these spiritual things that you could use in conjunction with whatever else you were doing. At the time, most people were in traditional Christian churches. So the five principles are, they are the basic teachings of unity, but we're careful not to claim them because they are universal spiritual principles that show up in every religion. They are that God is all there is. Everything is divine. So that would include human beings. The second one is that human beings are divine and therefore inherently good, which always leads to an interesting discussion. The third one is that thoughts have creative power, that you are the creator of your experience. Then number four is prayer and meditation, that that's the way we stay connected to God or the presence or spirit or whatever you choose to call that's something that's larger than yourself and number five is to put it into action in your life every day
2: well it's a wonderful book and it's very accessible and very little to argue about but i'm going to argue about one of them okay (laughs) for the sake of this interview and knowing that a lot of vegans are listening to this and we're so aware of the horrible suffering of the animals, the truly sadistic cruelty that passes as business as usual, customary agricultural practices, customary laboratory practices, that really you could juxtapose onto some sort of group of people from a sci-fi movie, and it would be very effective. So if people are inherently good... How can our fellow people be involved in this kind of torture and cruelty and not see it?
0: And not see it, I'm not sure how to answer. It's, you know, it's the same reason that some people become terrorists or commit crimes or do anything else that we think is unenlightened. They're just not there yet. They, the idea is that we are created whole, perfect, and complete. We are made in the image of God. And so our essence is divine. It's who we are. But, or and, as human beings, we have free will. And some people are just living differently from others. And so that's the best answer anybody's come up with.
2: Yeah, that's a tough one. That, mm-hmm. That's like angels dancing on the head of a pin. <laughs> you can take your time on that one. So I know that there are several unity ministers now who are vegan mm-hmm. um, and and very vocally vegan and want to be more vocally vegan. Yes. And like I'm sure other clergy in, in other denominations want to get this across to their congregants and, and uh, members and friends of their uh, churches, their synagogues, whatever it is. And yet, it's hard, too, because people don't always open up to the, oh, my gosh, vegan. Now that I know, I'll do that. So what kind of conversation is going on there, at Unity, about this?
0: And this conversation's been going on since the 30s. Which is, we don't want to tell people how to live their lives. And we, and we can't even know what's best for everybody. Uh, even if we think a certain kind of behavior would be better for them and for the world, we really don't know another person's soul path. So, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore put vegetarianism in their original statement of faith in 1929, 21. And they took it out about 15 years later and said, we're just not comfortable telling people how they should live their lives. So the discussion around Unity World Headquarters right now is how do we revive this vegetarian legacy of the Fillmore's without sounding like we're telling people what to do? Because most of the people in Unity are refugees from rigid religions, and they're very skittish if they think you're telling them how to live.
2: I'd love the idea of have a cookie or <laughs> have this fabulous... I'm just looking now at the portrait of the Main Street Vegan Academy cookbook on, on my wall. Have this wonderful uh, quinoa, spinach, and cranberry mm-hmm. <laughs> casserole. You know, eat yourself into being interested in this. I, I just feel that food is going to get to people in this generation more than maybe philosophy. What do you think?
0: Maybe so, and you're better than anyone I know at expressing these ideas without turning people off. I also think that sometimes when their reaction is defensive to the point of belligerence, it's a good sign. It means they are terribly uncomfortable. With what's going on, and if they think about it much longer, they're going to have to do something different. And they're not there yet, but uh, you know, one person at a time.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very interesting thing. I know when I was speaking with you and um, and Jim Blake, the CEO of Unity, he had said it, and his with with great. Concern, I could tell real, real caring. He said, "You know, we have people who are part of Unity who are farmers.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, how,
2: how, how do we talk to them?" And I think all of us, you know, I think even those of us who are very, very convinced that everybody ought to be doing this, you know, we have extended family members who who are very threatened by it. I think one of the great things about being where we are today is that there are so many people who aren't vegan, and might be interested, that we can get all of them. And then we'll go to the people who find it very difficult. My last question to you, Ellen, has to do with generations. I believe the statistic is that 1% of baby boomers, 3% of Gen Xers, and 12% of millennials Mm -hmm. identify as, I'm not sure if it's vegetarian or vegan, but it's something good. Mm -hmm. And probably... You could turn that around and just adjust the numbers, but keep the ratio, and we'd find the number of people who are involved in, well, I'm going to say traditional religion. I know unity isn't really traditional, but compared to none at all, it is. So do you see any sort of connection in how we're reaching out to people to go vegan with what we can do to make maybe exploring some of life's mysteries more appealing to younger people who are very science-based and seem to think that there's a conflict there.
0: Hmm. So far, I don't know anyone who has found the secret to reaching young people. Um, I was told recently that even the word spiritual doesn't resonate with them. They hear it as woo-woo, new age. So, it's going to have to be a whole new world to, um, to communicate the message to new generations, don't you think? Uh, well, you,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm completely stunned because I, I find myself living in a world that is very different than the one that I prepared for. Yes. And so, I learn new things every day and if it has to do with technology, I forget it and have to learn it over again the next day. <laughs> So, I don't know if the wording is enough. Young people love justice. Mm -hmm. The idea that we are going to make this world just is very appealing. And, you know, it ought to be appealing to all of us, whatever age.
0: And so, I think they would love Charles Fillmore, who said, we need never look for universal peace on earth until men stop killing animals for food.
2: Bless you, Charlie. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And... Bless you, Ellen Devonport. Thank Thank you. you so much for being with us today. Check out her book, The Five Principles. It's just a little thing, really easy to read, and you don't want to put it down. Everybody stay with us. After the break, we will be back with Mary Lawrence and Eat Vegan with me.
3: 272727 Thank you for your support.
1: Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways?
0: you were intentional about your life committed to having more energy and being more vibrant join reverend temple hayes spiritual leader of first unity at unity campus in saint petersburg florida as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy love and joy you hold in your wildest imagining
1: listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at Main Vegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan.
2: Welcome back to the program. And I have a little gift for some of you, some of us, Candle Cafe West is part of the wonderful candle restaurant, uh, legendary trio of restaurants here in New York City. And we always have graduation luncheon there after Main Street Vegan Academy. And they're just so good. They, The owners have been on this show a couple of times talking about their food and their cookbooks and eating for holidays and whatnot. And all of a sudden, Joy Pearson, a co-owner of the candles, said, We love what you're doing. Tell everybody who listens to your radio show that if they come to Candle Cafe West this summer, they can have 10% off. So if you're in New York, near New York, going to come here on vacation in the summer of 2018, just uh, get yourself over to Candle Cafe West and have 10% off on your lunch and dinner and wonderful libations. You'll have a good time. So all you have to do is say, Main Street Vegan sent me. So if you have a fascination with the 1920s and ever wanted to pretend that you'd been to a speakeasy, go to Candle Cafe West and say, Main Street Vegan sent me. And thanks, Joy Pearson. That's so generous and so kind of you because uh, I love my listeners too. And I love this woman with whom we are about to speak, Mary Lawrence. Mary Lawrence is a vegan chef and wellness educator with Well on Wheels, Connecticut's premier vegan personal chef service. She is the author of Easy Peasy Vegan Eats and her brand new cookbook, Eat Vegan With Me, that's really more than a cookbook because it combines techniques for engaging in effective conversation along with recipes for compassionate cuisine. Mary is a board member of the American Vegan Society, a graduate of the T. Colin Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies, and certified in nutrition and wellness consulting by the American Fitness Professionals Association. Welcome, Mary Lawrence. Thank you so much, Victoria. It's wonderful to be here. Well, it's wonderful to be talking with you. I don't know if you were listening at the very beginning, but I, I talked about walking in on your presentation and hearing that brilliant thing that that you said that I think really makes peace with, with the terminology of plant-based and vegan and that uh, both have a place. So let's talk about you. How did you get from a regular person to vegan author and chef?
4: It's true. You know, it feels like that a whole lifetime ago, really. I've been vegan now for 20 years. So last year I celebrated my 20th vegan anniversary. And, um, and really it started with, um, for me it was health reasons. I changed my diet because I was so many issues, tired all the time. So chronic fatigue. Um, I had inflammation, sinus issues, um, rashes, all these unexplainable things that the doctor said, um, really, you have systemic inflammation, and it's probably lupus, and you're going to need to be on medication the rest of your life. And you need to get rid of your dog because she's causing all your asthma and allergies. And, and I've told this story many times, but it's, it's just the kind of story that I think is so common that people have illnesses and then we're told we need to be on medication as if that's the only choice. But when they told me I had to get rid of my dog, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So I started doing some research. And really, I didn't find out about veganism. It was more about whole foods, you know, changing all the foods that I was eating. So processed foods, Essentially, I was eating junk food all the time and didn't realize it was bad for me because everyone else was eating that. But um, literally overnight, I changed my diet. And within three months of changing, all of those illnesses went away and I was never on medication. And to me at the time, it felt like a miracle cure. So I wanted to tell the world about it. Um, And I started thinking, well, maybe I'd open a restaurant, but first I had to go back to school. I was a teacher at the time, and um, so I went back to school to get a culinary arts certification and just to really get comfortable using all the equipment, and I started first thinking I would do a restaurant, but once I worked in a restaurant, I realized that was not for me. And I have to say kudos to everyone who is in the restaurant in the food service industry, because it's, you know, some of the hardest work around. Um, but since I was a teacher, and I really, like I said, want to spread this message that you can heal yourself through food, um, I started teaching cooking classes. And that essentially... 15 years ago is when I started my business because one of my students loved my food so much and asked if I would cook for her. And that is essentially my first client. And I've been doing that ever since. And I was able to shift gears away from teaching full time to teaching part time. I still teach English at a community college part time and I run my business. Um, But after doing it for about, you know, maybe six months or so, I was not yet ready to call myself vegan until I visited Farm Sanctuary and Watkins um, Glen and saw the animals right up there, up, you know, in person, up close, and heard their stories. And that's really when it, like, everything connected. I loved animals, and it just made so much sense, sense to me why I didn't see that sooner. <laughs> that's my only regret. But I was so glad that everything kind of came together at that time.
2: I love your story and I love that you came in first through the health because sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, those health vegans, you know, they're not really vegans, but they don't even count. I have heard that and it makes me so sad because we all count. And (laughs) once we're over here, we learn about all the different reasons for doing this. Right. And, And you're a perfect example. So your new book is really fascinating to me. There are these things called culinary novels that are fiction with recipes and yours isn't that, but it's a wonderful, wonderful book with a whole lot of really, really tasty uh, and and unintimidating recipes, Eat Vegan With Me, Creating Community Through Conversation and Compassionate Cuisine. So what's the story behind this one? Thank you. Yeah, um, You know, teaching these classes,
4: kind of as as you have experienced, I'm sure, and as you just explained, people come to your classes, come to your presentations for different reasons. But consistently, what I found, um, people mostly were curious. They just, you know, initially would say they just wanted to learn how to make some healthy recipes with vegetables. But then the more we'd have conversations, it would come out. That they said, oh, I wish I could be vegan, but it's, you know, then there's the but, dot, 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 you know, some obstacle that was preventing them. So most people, at least, you know, that spoke with me or have spoken with me over the past 15 years, really feel like they want to move in the vegan direction. They recognize all these issues. I mean, I heard you and um, Ellen speaking about this in the previous segment, um, that you make that connection through empathy, empathy, through compassion, through justice. And you recognize, or we as, you know, humans recognize that it's not right to treat animals this way. Um, So when you have that connection and then you go back to eating your chicken or go back to eating, you know, whatever your meat of choice is, um, you forget about that connection. I think that's how we're socialized. We're assimilated into this, um, mindless kind of way of eating food. So for me, it's about helping people reconnect with that. So I would have conversations when people would come up to me after these presentations and say, I wish I could, but I kind of came up with this list of obstacles and that's really what I wrote about in the book is, um, how to overcome these obstacles? So often it was time, convenience, um, cost, availability, social situations, family and friends, and then the education. Some people are just you know they come to a class and they don't eat, they don't know how to cook, so they you can't just be told, oh yeah, you can make rice and beans when they may not. I've had I've had clients that actually. Only have a microwave. So there are people, you know, we have to, we can't just assume everyone's like us. We have to recognize that people are coming from different places. Um, So addressing these common obstacles and challenges really is what I wanted to focus on in the book. That's the conversation part of the book. And then having relatively quick and easy recipes with understandable ingredients, nothing that's too unusual, so that people can feel comfortable using. common foods and making, you know, lasagna because they know what lasagna is, but doing the vegan version of it. So that's really the the two things in one that I wanted to focus
2: on. Well, you've, you've done it really well. Now that I know that you're an English teacher, that helps me understand a little bit of why the conversation part is so important to you. So why should we all think of it as important?
4: Well, definitely. Um, so, I guess I'll start by talking about my experience. My t- I, as much as I teach, I learn from my students, and they are. It's a community college in New Haven, Connecticut. So, it's an urban community college, and the majority of my students um, don't have cars, so they're taking the bus or taking the train or walking to school. Um, most of them limited incomes, and if they're working, they're often working, you know, at fast food restaurants and um, so they don't have the time. They don't have the money. And sometimes they have children and, you know, they're trying to raise a family and it's very difficult for them. So I admire them in so many ways. And I do respect where they're coming from. And, and that really taught me a lot. So um, in my classes, even though it's English, we talk about various issues like race, gender, the environment. So when we discuss the environment, I often bring up animal agriculture and i show video clips and there's some great ones from Cowspiracy and speciesism and forks over knives and i share this with them and many of them will say why didn't anyone ever tell me about this they just can't believe and or they'll say i can't believe this is legal you know when you see what happens to the animals and i'll, I'll tell them that's common everyday practice it's considered industry norms um so then they say well how can I eat meat that's not raised this way, or animals that are not raised this way and I said, well, that's pretty much how the whole system is and I think there is that myth that the majority of people so they teach me a lot of what what you know general public people are thinking is that um the myth of the old McDonald's farm and that Animals are, you know, raised on a farm and then that one bad day is when they give their life to you. Um, So that myth, it's really we have a lot of myths in our society that we need to shed light on. So I feel like the education process, not just teaching English, but teaching them how society works and all these issues of injustice. Um, So I kind of try to connect it all. And as I said, I learn from
2: them as much as I try to teach them when i think about people who who are lower income middle income you know like most most of us you know don't have great trust funds sitting around uh waiting for us to buy our next yacht in the old days it used to be people would go vegetarian or vegan to save money i remember oh my gosh it was before i was completely full time vegan i thought i was vegan <laughs> So I went to this banquet out in Kansas City for my job. It was a movie premiere. Um, And I ordered, you know, vegan and the food came and it was really beautiful, all pretty and everything. And all the people with money to go to a benefit looked at my dish and said, oh, I should have gotten that. And I'm sitting here (laughs) thinking, you know, you could have. And then the next day, one of these women called me at my work and she said, you inspired me tonight we're having a vegetarian meal, cabbage and breadcrumbs. It costs about five cents. And that was kind of the way people saw it. And now there's this opposite thing where vegans are elitist. So Mm. what do you do with that one? That's certainly an issue. And
4: sometimes that comes up when I give a presentation. So um, one of the things that I I recommend in these conversations and I write about in my book is to not disagree. So when somebody says, well, veganism is elitist or privileged, then I'll say, you know, you're, you're kind of right in the way our society is and how unjust our food system is. Unfortunately, it is the case right now that healthy food in particular, fresh fruits and vegetables cost more than, than processed fast food, junk food. And and I'll say, and that's really not how it should be. Um, So I start by agreeing and then I give some additional information to hopefully get them inspired to start thinking. And I'll say, you know, what can we do about that? Well, we can at least focus on traditional foods in the various ethnic cuisines that are often more affordable, like rice and beans or pasta and marinara, and certainly you can eat that. And most of most foods like that are available, um, even in, you know, the food deserts. You can go to bodegas and get rice and beans usually. But then, of course, there's the student that just has a microwave or doesn't have any pots or pans or, you know, and that certainly can be an issue, too. But um so it certainly needs to be addressed, and I think we need to recognize that We as vegans need to recognize it and understand where people are coming from when they have that concern, but then also explain that it doesn't have to be and it shouldn't be either.
2: Yeah, it, it's a very difficult thing. I think it was one of the movies, I don't know if it was Food, Inc. or which one, but the little girl was in the grocery store and wanted a pear, and her mom had to say no, but everybody can have a happy meal. So yeah. some, something's not right out there. So let's, let's make veganism accessible for everybody. That certainly is one of your specialties. So we're looking at everybody, age, ability, income, education, skill level, culinary expertise. Where do we start? How do we make this just as normal as eating food? Hmm. So let's see, a
4: step by step guide. Um, (laughs) um, I think. The next book. Yeah, right, right. Well, I think it's key, certainly, to have these conversations, these everyday conversations. So I call it everyday activism. Um, And this is going to kind of answer your question in a roundabout way. But I think it's important as vegans to get to what I was saying about if you want to change the system, call yourself vegan. Um, Every time you use that word in a positive way, sends a message, not just to the person you're speaking with at that moment, but does send a message that can reverberate. They're going to tell somebody else, oh, I had this interesting conversation with a vegan. And the more you do that in these positive ways, it spreads that message that veganism is normal. It's um, positive. It's something that was happy when this person was having this conversation. She was happy about being vegan. Um, So I think all of that collectively raises the consciousness and that's what really is important with any social movement um so everything we do we as vegans do on a daily basis even if you're a quiet person even if you're introverted i'm more introverted but still these one-on-one conversations i have are making a difference that way and i think it's important to remember that you may not be a superstar you may not be um, the kind of extroverted person that likes to go to protests or demonstrations, but you're just as effective individually within your own circles of family and friends and co workers. You're making a difference that way and it all adds up. So I, I think that would be the first step is just to be that positive vegan role model and an everyday activist. And then, of course, the more you learn, the more you can become informed. Um, and I think of conversation as not just an opportunity for educating the other person, but as a learning experience, as I mentioned with learning from my students. So we learn through each of those conversations we have, how to be more effective and how to be better as a vegan role model. Um, Because inevitably we get frustrated. Inevitably we feel like we're not doing enough or there's so much to be done and how can we possibly do it all? So the reality is we can't, but we can certainly feel like we are making a difference in any way that we can. And so I think that's like the the important step two and three.
2: That's all good. Now let's get even more practical. Sure. You are a chef. You are someone who is comfortable in the kitchen. And I really believe that that is essential. So let's just talk about cooking. Mm -hmm. Even before we get to vegan cooking, What is somebody who's just completely alienated from the kitchen, that person who only has a microwave because they wouldn't know how to use anything else? Mm -hmm. What do we need to know about basic food shopping, food preparation, self-sufficiency in terms of food?
4: Yeah. So for the student that I had that literally said she just has a microwave, um, so she said most of the meals she gets are what she picks up on her way home from school or from work. And so I just, you know, recommended fortunately there are some options. They're not ideally what you, you know, want to strive for, but if this is all you can do, um, you know, fast food restaurants like Chipotle of course has the burritos. Um, you know, Burger King and McDonald's have the veggie burgers. So there are options that are vegan. So that would be the first thing, if you're focusing on convenience and what can you do that's vegan. Um, For microwave meals, you can get a little creative. There are, you know, the heatable meals and certainly you can get like marinara sauce and toss it with veggies or, um, you know, chop up some broccoli if you have access to fresh vegetables. Um, Farmer's markets, certainly this time of year, it's easier because the produce will start arriving at the farmer's market so you can you know if somebody's on a limited income and they use snap they can use their snap to pay for the produce and if they have double dollars then they can get twice as much produce for the same amount of money so i i do that i speak with you know i give presentations on how to be vegan on a budget so that's an issue that can be addressed and Often ethnic markets, you can get big bags of rice and dried beans and the spices are going to be less expensive. Um, so I would focus on that and just to really try to get excited about trying new foods. Um, I think that is really probably the first practical step is, you know, if you've never cooked before, just sometimes... A jar of marinara mixed with pasta. That could be exciting for your first meal that you've cooked. And then try adding some fresh veggies the next time, or try adding a can of beans the next time. Um, So it's those little steps, those little goals and accomplishments, I think reinforce and help. And so self efficacy is key for any lifestyle change, is to reinforce those positive steps that you're taking.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think it's so many people just don't know the difference between a dry measuring cup and a wet measuring cup. Not that it makes all that much difference unless you're baking, but it just seems like that's pretty basic so that when you're walking through Williams-Sonoma with your child or Walmart or Bed Bath & Beyond or (laughs) wherever you happen to be and the kid says, what this, that, You know, maybe the adults need to know that. I think this whole idea of of, uh, feed thy neighbor, teach thy neighbor, Mm -hmm. maybe if all of us just got a little bit excited about maybe having potlucks and cooking classes and co-cooking.
4: I'm glad you mentioned that because that is really, that's how I got started when I said I realized I was not cut out to be a restaurateur, but I did enjoy cooking and I did enjoy sharing food with people. So I started teaching adult education and that was the focus. What you're talking about is just the basics of, um, you know, using measuring cups, explaining what brown rice is, um, explaining how to, how to soak beans and how to soak nuts and seeds. Um, so all those steps that, right, that as if you're a long-time long vegan, you kind of take for granted that everyone knows how to do or everyone is familiar with. But that initial step to becoming vegan, it's all overwhelming at first. So, right, in vegan potlucks, so 20 years ago, there was really not much of a support system. There certainly was no internet as we have it today, um, but I was fortunate here in Connecticut, there was a group that had been getting together monthly for vegan potlucks. And that's how I met other vegans. And I was like, wow, it's not just me, there's other vegans out there. And, um, and then I learned about vegan food and just, you know, trying new foods that other people had made. I wasn't really even thinking recipes at the time. And not really even thinking I would become a chef, but the more I did, the more I enjoyed it. And, and as a chef, I never measure anything. I, I never think about measuring cups either. So it's always about (laughs) what tastes good and what looks good. And um, just the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with the ingredients. And that's what I write about in the cookbook too, is um, intuitive cooking. So it's kind of based on the foods and flavors that maybe in your, Family traditions, what you got comfortable growing up with. Um, so for me, I'm part Italian and part Lithuanian. So the first things I did was to veganize Italian foods like lasagna and pasta and baked macaroni and eggplant parmesan. And my Lithuanian family, it was stuffed cab, stuffed cabbage, and Lithuanian apple cake, things like that. So, um, and then when you can do that and make food that other relatives think tastes just as good as the original, then it does
2: feel like a huge accomplishment. Yeah, it does indeed. Now, you have another chapter that fascinated me. I don't think I've ever seen a book that is even remotely a cookbook that has a chapter about self-care. What's that all about and why is it important?
4: Yes, it is very important. And as I mentioned, as we've discussed, it's um, a challenge when you're a new vegan and everything feels so overwhelming especially when you're aware of all the suffering that's in the world and that humans are causing, you know, towards animals, towards the environment, it can just be de- demoralizing. And um, and one of the things that I always remind people is um, that guilt is debilitating, but accountability is empowering. And yeah. And so when we see all that suffering and we just feel so bad and we just almost go into a cocoon-like state and, like, just don't even want to, I'm sure anyone listening can probably relate to this. You just don't even want to go out into the world because you realize how much suffering there is. Um, But that's that sense of guilt and shame for having experienced it or having contributed to it. But then when you realize you can choose not to contribute to that and you can choose to inform other people and also, hopefully inspire them to not contribute to that that's when it feels empowering so that's taking accountability so that i think is really important part of self-care is to turn those negative feelings because so they certainly happen and i'm not going to deny that um, but to turn that around and try to see how you're making a difference um, but of course there are the times when it's still hard to even do that so i always say you know take a step back I do I practice meditation every morning, 15 minutes. It's not a lot, but it's enough to ground me for the day. And I do yoga as well. So any kind of practice where you're just connecting with yourself and recognizing that you're being the best person you can be. Again, nobody's perfect. We can't do everything. But knowing that you are making a positive difference in the world, just you know, those positive affirmations. I have steps in the book about, you know, that positive self-talk to remind yourself that everything you're doing is making a difference rather than I'm not doing, you know, starting with those positive statements, um, to pull yourself out and to strengthen yourself. And, um, again, to be compassionate towards
2: yourself. So what do you do, Mary, to go on and stay positive, Knowing the amount of cruelty in the world. Right. Well, all these
4: practices that I mentioned, um, in addition, I take a walk, try to do a walk every morning, 40 to 45 minute walk. And it's my way of just emptying my mind and observing this beautiful world that we're fortunate to live in. And just, you know, animals, trees, flowers, insects, all of it to me um that reminds me of that connection that i feel and it makes me feel um not separate from nature but a part of nature so when i feel connected then i feel stronger and i feel you know like mother nature has my back that i'm not alone and um i think that sense of connectedness really is important. And I have two kitties. So um, <laughs> so they remind me, they help me de-stress as well. Like whenever I have those bad days or those long days, or I'm just on the computer or cooking for people and teaching all in one day, and then my kitty starts climbing across my laptop, <laughs> then I say, oh yeah, he's reminding me I need to focus on self-care right now, um, and, and cuddle time, (laughs) but it is, it's just, um, that balance, it helps restore
2: you. Yeah, that, and just the fact that you do have these kitties in your life, when you were talking early on about the physician who wanted you to, and I can't stand this phrase, get rid of your Mm -hmm. dog (laughs) i mean that's like you you don't talk to a counselor and say i have this very troubled teenager and the advice is get rid of it i just anyway but it's just it's so healing to -hmm. be around these beings who are so full of of love and innocence i was reading a book where the author said that his mom awakened all the children in the family with rise and shine and show the world what you're made of. Mm-hmm. So I, I was uh, playing with that this morning, you know, talking to my dog and my husband and mm-hmm. my husband said to our dog, uh, rise and shine and tell the world what you're made of. It's like, he's made out of love. I know. It, oh. This message is very clear. Yeah. So we are fortunate, so fortunate to be sharing our lives with the, uh, beings of such grace. So you are, Mary, on the board of the American Vegan Society. And I know that a lot of very active, very committed vegans these days don't even know there is an American Vegan Society. So what is it and why should we all be members?
4: Yes. And really, it's The longest uh, organization in the United States, American Vegan Society, along with the North American Vegetarian Society around, you know, around the same time, uh, 35, 40 years ago, I should know
2: that exact date. Well, I I know the exact date because I, well, I wasn't there for the beginning when I was a kid, 1960 for the American Vegan Society, 1974 for the North American Vegetarian Society. Okay, awesome. So, yes
4: the oldest and longest running vegan society in the United States and Freya Dinshaw and um, and her daughter and Dinshaw now run it. And, and really, it's just, um, I admire them so much for the work that they do. And again, very understated. They should be recognized so much more for the work they do with getting vegan items on menus at restaurants in uh, low-income neighborhoods to make vegan food accessible to people. That point about uh, food justice and um, you know really paying attention to the problems with poverty, so that veganism is not elitist, but it's for everybody. And and one of the phrases that I use is that you shouldn't have to be wealthy to be healthy. That everyone should be able to have access to affordable, nutritious, fresh fruits and vegetables. So they do a lot of that, and. Um, And they'll be having a garden party, which they have annually uh, coming up on Memorial Day weekend, where they have guest speakers. And really, it's such a great opportunity to see these experts in the field and interact with them one-on-one and feel like you're a peer because you're having conversations with them. And they make that idea of veganism accessible. So, um, And that's at the... Um, American Vegan Society headquarters in Malaga, New Jersey. So um, I'd highly recommend going to that. I will be there for that. Um, and yeah, and so some of the work that I do to support that initiative is the outreach with the adult education cooking classes. I'm right now teaching a five-week class. This is the, tonight is the fourth week of the five-week series. And, you know, really trying to make vegan food affordable the class is um you know I don't want to give it away too much but but it is it's only ninety dollars and I intentionally made it affordable so that people who are curious can come and learn how and we've been doing um let's see the first week we did meat substitutes plant-based meats and the second week we did plant-based milk and dairy substitutes Uh, Then the third week we did entrees and sauces. And tonight we're doing salads and sides. And then next week we're doing desserts and snacks. Mm. Um, And really, it's so this idea of the American Vegan Society inspired me to do this, just again to spread that message to as many people as we can and to make the food affordable and accessible and the lifestyle itself. More normalized. Yeah,
2: well, we're, we're normal and we're happy. Uh, so, the American Vegan Society website is americanvegan.org, and you can find the wonderful Mary Lawrence at Well On Wheels. She's uh, on Twitter as well on Wheels. She's on Instagram as well on Wheels. And we'll put all of her URLs on the show notes along with uh, Ellen Debenport, author of The Five Principles. Thanks to all of our guests. Thanks to Unity Online Radio and to our engineer, Jeff Comfort. Everybody, God bless you. Eat your veggies. (laughs) Thank you.